Today, you're going to make a thousand bucks. A fun episode because we're getting into the holidays and why not? But don't worry, you're going to get pumped up too. I threaded that needle of fun holiday podcast and get your ass ready because you're building something great in 2021. Or at least I tried to. But first, a story. My parents went a little overboard with my sister. They reminded her constantly that if she did the work, she could do anything she put her mind to. I was the younger brother, and as a kid, I remember thinking it was all a bit much. I knew my sister as an absolute tornado, a Tasmanian devil who wouldn't let anyone stop her from her goals. The last thing that she needed, I thought, was my parents' permission to become who she very clearly already was. Surprising absolutely no one, she rocketed through the ranks of the science world, eventually getting her PhD from UChicago. I remember watching her thesis defense alongside a bunch of people who took it all for granted. People who had expected this for so long that maybe they mistook it for being easy. It wasn't. 30-whatever years later, though, I wonder how much of that success was possible because of my parents tirelessly chipping away doubt like they were chipping ice off the windshield of a car. This allowed her to ignore stuff that most people harped on and put 100% of her effort into what she was naturally great at. This isn't just to get sappy around the holidays, though I did hit the lotto with my parents, an unbelievable mix of motivation, support, and massive portions of Italian food, but more to think about you. Startups are things that most people do later in life. There aren't familiar structures around them, school, family, peer group. They're often done solo, often on nights and weekends, often with tepid or non-existent support mustered by friends and family who are actually pretty worried that their loved one is making a giant mistake. The doubt doesn't just come from the outside. Entrepreneurs have these massive perceived crushing stakes. The story is that you throw away everything to pursue a startup and it'll leave you as either a billionaire or divorced and living in the backseat of a Kia, if you can even afford a Kia. I bought a car at the beginning of the pandemic and Kias are pricey as hell now. And I say divorced because most people who start startups aren't 22 despite what you hear. The average age of a founder of a venture-backed startup is 44. What I'm getting at is that startups are usually done when things are complex. Once the founder has added a ton of literal and mental overhead, there's loss aversion, sunk cost fallacy, sometimes kids and debt and a mortgage, and I guess if things have been going really well for you, apparently a Kia. By the time most of us have enough knowledge to start something meaningful, we've got a four inch buildup of ice on our windshield obscuring the view. So we pursue startups like people who can't see clearly. Or, more often, we just tell ourselves it's too dangerous out there. We'll wait for things to clear up. We'll wait until we have that extra time or money, neither of which is ever going to come, and then we'll leap. But what I've learned helping people at the earliest stages of startup ideas is that maybe all they really needed are Dick and Susan Scordato to chip away at the ice and make them a bowl of pasta. To help them forget everything that doesn't matter and focus on the stuff that does so that their natural ability can take over. I've learned that most people's natural business instincts are actually pretty good, and I'm going to prove it to you today. It's all the outside bullshit that's clouded stuff up and made you end up with startup ideas that make no sense. And since I can't rent out my 70-year-old parents to everyone, we'll have to handle this ourselves. Today we're going to simplify things, and that starts with you making a thousand bucks. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to join our 26th cohort, apply at gettacklebox.com.
We start up January 13th and we're holding a couple of slots for folks who apply in the next seven days. We've also got a self-serve program starting in January if you want to start a startup in 2021, but don't want our team breathing down your neck telling you to run more customer interviews. Idea to Startup is also brought to you by Underdog.io. Apply to top startup jobs in New York City and San Francisco with a 60-second job application. I've known the founders of Underdog for a while, and there is absolutely no better place to go if you're looking to work at a great startup. Back to it. There's a game I've been playing with my fiance during the past year or so called Interview. It's not so much a game as just asking people questions when you're bored. We've played with friends a bunch, and once they wrap their head around the fact that there's nothing more to it than questions, it's really fun. My favorite question so far has been, if you had to make $1,000 today, how would you do it? This catches everyone off guard. They're quiet for a few seconds, and then they blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. It's always selling something they already own selling their couch, their TV, some stocks, or, quote, a small piece of my Bitcoin stake. We're all really impressed, Greg. That's when I throw in my first rule. That's the beautiful thing about interview. It's not really anything, so you can just make up rules as you go. The rule is that you have to create the $1,000. You can't just liquidate something you already own. You have to do something that earns a new $1,000. So what about you? What would you do? Go ahead. Pause the podcast. Give yourself five or 10 minutes. Write it down on the notes app on your phone. Let's get nuts. If you needed to make a thousand bucks today, how would you do it? And I bet I'm gonna guess exactly what you wrote down. Welcome back. The first idea people usually have used to surprise me. It doesn't anymore. They always go to the businesses we all had when we were like seven. Suddenly, VPs at banks are baking brownies and setting up lemonade stands in town. Consultants with second homes are washing people's cars or mowing the lawn or giving private soccer lessons. It's absolutely wild. And I bet that's what you wrote down, too. A lot of people will ask if I mean $1,000 in revenue or profit before acknowledging how ridiculous a question that is because they aren't selling $1,000 of brownies from a fold-out table in the middle of town. As I said, I used to get surprised by these. But then I thought about it, and for most people, this is the experience they have with entrepreneurship. The last time they created something and sold it, they were a kid selling lemonade on the side of the road. So of course that's what they default to. After we get this out of the way, it starts to get interesting. I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. Her first idea was to quote, bake cookies for passerbys. Once we argued about whether passerbys was a word or not, she then mentioned offhand that people probably wouldn't trust food right now anyway, so she'd have to sell cookies to people who already trusted her. Maybe she'd sell boxes of cookies over email to people for the holidays. I jumped in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we trying so hard to sell cookies? If you're selling to people who trust you already, would they maybe trust you enough to buy something else from you? Something a little bit pricier? Are cookies really the hill to die on? No, she said. But what else would I sell them? I responded by asking what she did really well, something she was better at than just about everyone else. She also works at a bank. She's successful. She does a ton of things well. She thought for a minute and got pretty passionate. I'm really great at making overwhelming things seem doable. I'm known at work and with my family and friends for getting tons of stuff done. If you've got credit card debt or you're having a baby or getting married or anything that seems daunting, I can break it down into small components remove all the emotion from the tasks that need to get done, and create a plan to chip away. 
I'm great at stacking the tasks so you get momentum as things are finished. I create a flow. I bet I can help you solve just about any problem and make it as pain-free as possible. That seems a little bit better than handing out cookies on the street, so we pulled on the thread. Every great startup begins with a secret, something you know that other people don't. Maybe your customers don't know it, maybe other people building products for your customers don't know it, but there's gotta be that secret. Without a secret that someone's gonna care about a lot, you've got nothing. For my friend, that was the process of confronting and tackling daunting problems. Great. My next question was, what now? How do you turn that into a thousand bucks by midnight tonight? She thought about it for a second and then said, we've already established these people have to trust me. So I think there are a few types of problems I could solve. I think I know the people who might have them too. I definitely know who's having a baby or a wedding. Taxes and debt and more personal stuff is obviously a bit tougher. I asked then if the problem mattered. Was she better at helping people plan for things like a baby or a wedding or for things like taxes and debt? She responded that the bigger and nastier the problem, the more value she could add. The longer it had been ignored, the better. Wedding and baby were probably top of mind, so they couldn't have been buried for five years like taxes might be. We decided taxes and debt are the place to start. I asked her if she'd ever helped people with these in the past. Sure enough, she had. She'd helped a few of her friends figure out how to get out of credit card debt. She'd set up financial programs for them, savings programs, all custom, all with a manual dashboard in Excel. My next question was around inflection points. What caused your friends to talk to you in the first place? After they'd ignored an issue for so long, what made them decide that today was the day that they needed help and how'd they land on you? She thought about it for a minute and then said they'd actually recently gotten engaged when they'd asked. Their significant others in one case knew about the debt and the other case didn't. Either way, they really wanted to get it buttoned up before they got married. They confided in her because they knew she could solve big problems. I asked how big of a deal this debt was for the people she helped. She answered immediately. It was the most important thing in their lives by far. They thought about it constantly. They were paralyzed by it. Last question. What is the smallest thing you could do that would create the most value for people with this type of problem? She answered, probably sit down with them for a couple hours. Get everything out on the table. Go through the dollars coming in and the dollars going out. Figure out where there could be cuts. Figure out how much money they needed to save each month, the things that they could cut immediately, and create a strict plan in Excel. Set weekly and monthly goals with a hard end date. It all starts with visibility. I asked why they didn't do this already. She didn't know. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe they don't know where to go. Okay, fair enough. I asked one last time. So, how do you make $1,000 today? She worked through it. Well, I guess I need people to sit down with me. I'd probably charge 25 bucks an hour, so that's, well, that's way too many hours. Scratch that. I guess I need either one customer that pays me 1,000 bucks, 10 customers who pay me 100, or 100 who pay me 10. Or maybe it's four that pay me 250. That seems more reasonable. I could probably do a four-hour seminar where four people come in and we talk through high-level stuff. Then I do one-on-ones individually while the rest of them are digging up all the information we need. They could have a plan by the end of the workshop on how to pay off their bills. Great. How would this work? She responded quickly. I guess I could email like 100 people I know, friends and family, and say that I was running a seminar on this upcoming Saturday. I'd say it probably wasn't for everyone, but if you had a daunting financial situation and you wanted to get it fixed before the new year, 
or if you knew someone who did, we'd build you a plan. I'd say it was 250 bucks a person, there was room for four people, and I'd create a sign-up sheet and link my Venmo account. Then, if people signed up, I'd help them out. And that is how you start a startup. When people get out of their own way and stop thinking about moving fast and breaking things and unicorns and moving to Miami or Austin or all the other dumb shit that's relevant to exactly 0.0001% of startups, they're actually natural born storytellers and business creators. My friend just told a super compelling story that has a potential business attached to it. People crippled by financial stress who don't know where to go, a path to financial freedom, a solution to maybe the biggest problem that they don't want to tell anyone about. Her secret weapon, the best thing she does in life, the thing she does better than anyone else and enjoys to do, matches up really nicely to solve a problem that matters to a lot of people. It's a classic hero's journey. And yeah, all babies are cute. There are lumps under this blanket that we need to figure out. I have no idea who the competition is, how much you could actually charge, how troubled these financial situations are, all that stuff but this is a great way to make dipping your toe into the startup world manageable. You aren't selling your house or living in your Kia, God willing, if you can afford one. You're running a weekend test and seeing if your value is worth a thousand bucks in a day. You're getting in front of your customers and learning more about them directly from them to see if there's something there to build. Here's the framework of five questions I'd start with if you wanna do the same thing. One, what's your secret? What do you know that other people would benefit greatly from? Two, what's the distribution channel? This means trust. How are you gonna get in front of people in a way that they trust? For my friend, this was literally her connections who knew she could do the thing she said she could. It's easier to sell a book when you've got 100,000 newsletter subscribers. But if you don't have that, the distribution channel just means trust. Either you have the trust or the channel has the trust. How you get these first customers is maybe more important than your secret. A channel you can be heard through is the biggest part of an early startup distribution channel matters. Three, what's the problem? How do your customers view it? And how can you show you understand it? What's an inflection point that will allow you to target it specifically and message around it? Four, what does success look like? How do people feel when the problem's been solved? In the case of our friend, it was visibility into their finances and a shovel to get them out of the hole they dug. Five, how can you deliver success and make money today? The seminar with four people might make sense and it might not. The vehicle of the value is by far the least important part of this whole process. That we can fiddle with until we get it right. Most people think the product matters, but the product doesn't matter. Products are commodities. What's way more scarce is customer, the first four questions. Then we figure out the product that fits. My parents helped my sister succeed by making sure she never second-guessed herself. They simplified things. Startups need to get simplified. Not necessarily the business you build, that's gonna be hard as hell no matter what, but the way you start. The can't begin is hairy and difficult and overwhelming because that first test you run needs to be the first of a thousand like it, not the only one you do. It's gotta be lightweight. And it should start with those five questions. What's your secret, your distribution channel, the problem, what's success look like and how can you deliver it? The biggest flip with this is where the idea itself comes from. It's not about you looking around and trying to find where the biggest gap in the market is, where you can build a quote unicorn. It's about looking inwards and seeing what you do disproportionately well and where you've already got a distribution channel that'll transfer real trust. 
Then it's about the speed with which you can implement something and interact with customers. This is all about the velocity with which you can get feedback. The flow is about learning. Run a Sunday seminar and you'll learn more than most startups do in a year. Once the stuff is framed right, we're all naturally really good at it. So make a thousand bucks this weekend and email me about it. I'd love to hear. And Greg, for the last time, it doesn't count to just liquefy your stupid Bitcoin. We get it. You bought Bitcoin in 2013. Enjoy your Kia and give us all a rest. Have a good holiday, everyone else. Next week will probably be a classic episode unless I get real crazy and record one this weekend, but we'll definitely be back with a new episode on the 30th. If you've got a startup idea and want to test it out in the new year, the cohort starting January 13th has a slot or two left. Again, feel free to apply. And if you want to share this with friends, please do or rate us or review us or all that good stuff. I love you all and appreciate you all. Be safe and happy and have a great holiday.